Oh, things you should know immediately. Gabe, not here. David, looks like shit. Danny, feeling great. Uh, that's 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 order of operations today. End of the year. Ugh, 2020 sucks. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah, it was really bad it, for a lot of people, but um, it was fine for rich people, largely. It's just kind of... Writ, writ large. Writ large, they were fine. It was fine. It really was. Like, the stock market really... Uh, you see recent headlines now, which are like, you know, chronic unemployment for the underclass of America. Art institutions looking like they'll never come back. A look back at, like, your favorite dive bars that survived the Korean War is never coming back, <laughs> you know? And, no. <laughs> but, but the stock market, better than ever, baby. Better than ever. Doing, doing great. Doing great. Uh, yeah. Uh, great, actually, looking great. Culturally, this is uh, maybe you can dive into your own mind palace for a second and think think to yourself, when do you think was the first year you heard somebody be like, ugh, fuck 2012 or or fuck this. Like, think back. When was the first time you, you really heard that? It was really around like when Black Lives Matter really started heating up, I think. I think 2014, mm-hmm. 2015. I mean, Obama's second term was bleak. It was really, yeah. there was a lot going on internationally, and the rest of it, he couldn't even get a judge appointed. He couldn't get a, an SEC commissioner appointed for a while. He just, nothing was getting done, and he was getting all these crazy executive orders passed to make us feel like something was happening, like that immigration executive order, that clean power plan executive order, all this stuff. And it was really mean in the meanwhile, like we were all just listening to like shoegaze heroin <laughs> like heroin induced beach house and Drake. And just <laughs> like there was just so much malaise in those years. I remember just feeling so much dread and anxiety. And then every once in a while there would be a snuff film on live TV, like that was just circulated everywhere. <laughs> of, ah. like, that's what it was. That, that's what that's what we were watching. It's just like mm-hmm. every couple months there would be a snuff film of an unarmed black man or woman getting killed. Oh, or there would be like a mass shooting, which is not that they, they usually wouldn't have a footage footage of it, but it was still like and really like in the years right after Trayvon Martin, you know, with like Eric Garner. And, you know, mm-hmm. the list goes on and on and on and on. And it was, those were bad years. And I remember people being like, 2014, not a great year. 2015. But mm-hmm. there was still people felt like, you know what, Obama's president. And in like, but, and it was really 2016 was the year where everyone was like, this is a bad year. Oh, my gosh. Well, I think you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right about that because the first inklings of it seem to be sort of creeping, kind of creeping in into the dis- into the discourse. Mm, if you want to go absolute earliest, 2011, maybe somebody doing, maybe maybe somebody randomly goes like, "Ugh, 
so bad, you know, or whatever on on Twitter or whatever. Doesn't think twice about it. It's not a huge yeah, and like I mean, cultural phenomenon. Yeah, I mean, and the and there was good reason for 2009, 2010 to be bad. There's a huge financial crisis. We were still in like active belligerence in two countries in like in war. You know, then it kind of became smart warfare and brushed under the table. But like, yeah. Um, oh yeah, and then like ISIS happened in 2014 and 2015. I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah. That also just really made those years feel like, oh my god, we are dealing with like, you know, Al Qaeda meets Hitler. You know, and like there was just this like sense of like, this is like the newest, biggest, baddest, horrible thing, and like Ebola, the scariest disease on earth. Yes. To this day, still the scariest thing. And so there was a lot of like fear. There was, you know, uh, that was going on in those 2014 and 2015. And then 2016, just, well, really, Trump came the first half of 2015. And then he really, you know, got his rocks off in 2016. And all the celebrities dying. The celebrity deaths. Yes. Celebrity deaths. It was, like, I must say, like, it was uncanny. It was so strange just how many of them were. And so how many of them were very life-affirming people, you know, like Prince and Bowie, Alan Rickman, those three I always grouped together. And Robin Williams. Rob- Robin Williams was no, a he big was, one. He was earlier, wasn't he, though? I – was he 2015? I think mm. he was a little earlier. I, I think. He might have been. He might have been. I, I mean, very, very close, but – Leonard yeah, Cohen right. died that year. Uh, he, Al, Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman. Mr. Potter, put your <laughs> put your penis in my butt, Mr. Potter. Um, I liked him. Uh, and who else was there? I don't know. Just uh, just uh, it, the that those things on top really was what started the kind of like you know twenty fuck twenty sixteen. And then obviously when Trump got mm-hmm, elected, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. that kind of made the made the cherry on the yeah on the ice cream or whatever. Yeah, check. Yeah, made the whole thing yeah. horrible. Uh, so. That's when it started, 2017. 2016, 2017. And then, um, yeah, so then, like, in the intervening uh, Trump years, there hasn't been as much, like, well, like, every year's been bad because Trump's been in office, but things have generally been not so bad in the culture, right? Like, people, yeah. (sighs) Culture has been back and it's been back and forth. It's had a malaise through the entire time, just because you're right, because like Donald Trump is there. But I think what you know, I was sort of getting out is just like people. It's now just like a cultural affectation, sort of like a a 55 year old guy calling literally anybody who has ever drank a, a latte a hipster like that. It, right. you know, like it's right. ta- it's ta- it's taken on that feeling. It's getting abused. Um, it's getting abused. Yes, it's getting it's getting beaten to death. Yeah, it's getting beaten absolutely. to death. You know, so it's not um, it's not necessarily yeah. even that it's wrong. Twenty twenty was a horrible year, and twenty sixteen was also a horrible year. Uh, but you know, it, it's just that you know, annoying people using it in you know uh, in in you know ways that are annoying. Uh, it's just kind of the easiest way to put it. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 right up there with freaks who call living their life adulting. Um, it's right up there with people who are like, I think it's worse than the epic bacon people. Actually, they you know, because that still is just there. There's something and there's something comical about that, and it's 
in, in its sense because if you see somebody in 2020 doing epic bacon uh genuinely and and real really there is a bit of celebration to it <laughs> like you kind of know in the back of their head i mean they do like red meats so i'd be like whatever <laughs> <laughs> they, they like they like a nice blt or a club sandwich like that seems to be a fun thing for them you know but when somebody's like complaining about something as um amorphous about like the end of a year it adds sort of a weird kind of existential dread the to annoying it, you know? thing about it for the really thing that i don't like is when brands start doing it or when like outlets start doing it just it's like we know this has been a a shit a shit fucking year and that's mm-hmm. and that's why we uh at visa are offering you <laughs> Five five point one percent interest rates for all home buyers uh, who purchase through a Visa Rewards Plus program, you know, and like we we yeah yeah we'd like we'd like to we'd like to announce that um it's not just the twelve days of Honda days, <laughs> it's the it's the it's the we're t- we're t- we're taking the Honda days and we're sending them right into January. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you're a, if you're a Capricorn. You're getting a deal, you know. <laughs> it's it's gonna be great for you. Uh, yeah, no, it's it, so 2020 though was very bad objectively. I mean, what 325 thousand people have died from coronavirus, correct, on, correct, know, and m- much more globally, and you know all of um, just all, all the other all the other horrible things that have happened this year. There there have been so many horrible things. And for Wall Street, really, it was just an inconvenient year. And it was kind of the year that Wall Street, I think, got woke and started feeling guilty about Mm -hmm. things. Because Mm -hmm. this happened before the coronavirus kicked in when BlackRock CEO Larry Fink wrote this letter saying, we are going to incorporate climate change into all of our $8 trillion dollars in assets mm-hmm. and that was in january so they were it was on their mind and there was it wasn't it's not just coronavirus but really coronavirus accelerated wall street's feeling like we need to do something to feel relevant we need to do something in order to feel like this like we are noblesse oblige like we can provide a beneficial you know, landlord, essentially, like, over the economy and a stewardship over the economy. And that's why there was all this marketing about how we're here for you. We know this is tough. Like, mm-hmm. all the emails that you have mm-hmm. with anyone, like, I hope you find this, I hope this finds you well in these tough times. You know, and that's just two white-collar people working from home and getting seamless every day. And... Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you know, and it's like it's probably finding you okay, right? Uh, and Wall Street really shifted its tone away from the kind of like Friedman, go fuck yourself. It's my, I'm taking mine, ideology, in favor of that. And I think that it's not just coronavirus. I, I, I really think that were it not for the emergence of grassroots efforts over the past like decade, right? Past decade, I can't tell you how many Black Lives Matter marches, climate change marches, and like generally yeah. like DSA events I've been to 
And those three things, I think, really finally pierced uh, the corporate veil. I use that word incorrectly or whatever. But like uh, the, the, that finally got to people's heads in Wall Street to say, hey, we need to do something. Otherwise, people yeah. are going to overthrow us. Yeah, it got, it's it, uh, uh, kind of an, al- an analog to it. It's, um, it's the equivalent of uh, BP and Shell being like, we're going to actually start really talking about electric vehicles, but still do all the horse shit that we do in the background. But our face, our face is like the EVs and climate change, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and and you're right. It, it, it's, uh, the, the move was definitely there and there was sort of, there was a, there was a tonal shift. By the way, listener, David, David and I, we're talking about the year in review. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about, you know, some of our favorite stories that we went, but we're also just, we're just kind of jamming, trying to just talk about, um, just how we feel, you know, about everything that's happened. And again, you know, as we are, you know, a white collar, uh, financial crimes podcast, we're kind of taking sort of the theme that even though that 2020 was, uh, as people like to say, like, you know, when a, a, a dumpster fire, you know, like uh, that many people in the financial sector, uh, people like Larry Fink, was that his name? Yeah. Larry Fink, you know, large, I mean, it, uh, everything that happened this year for them was more of a speed bump, you know, or yeah. a, 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 a traffic ticket. And it forced more. them to kind of, you know, change their policies and procedures to... Now that people are going to be like rethinking whether I need to wear a suit and go from Connecticut to lower Manhattan every day. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And now all these, you know, now like corporate America. I mean, who I really in the white collar sector, who's going to take a real blow from this huge shift in our in our in this economy is going to be the commercial real estate sector. And yes, the commercial real estate sector is going to suffer from this. And it's a perfect time. You know, the coronavirus outbreak was a perfect time for Hudson Yards to be completed uh, be- for so many fun, nice reasons. Not only was it, like, it completely irrelevant before coronavirus happened, but now it is just disgustingly irrelevant. Uh, there's just so much commercial office space that will never, ever be used. And there is just so much commercial office space that will have to be converted to housing or something because it will never fill up again. We are going to have yeah. so many empty skyscrapers. Well, not even that, but I, I'm no, literally filled with um, Legionnaires' disease. Also, by the way, because people ooh. don't run, get the water running, so there's just gonna be stagnant water everywhere, and it's just gonna be like <laughs> empty glass towers full of disease. Uh, no one full of cholera and, yeah. and horseshit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, there. I mean, not only was Hudson Yards basically like, um, you know, completed in this time, but also, um, fucking those two buildings right on 58th Avenue uh, or 58th Street. Um, oh, those that are, personal, are like, those are personal buildings, right? They are, but they're also just an. I mean, they're still huge skies. Uh, uh, yeah, residential. Yeah, they're still giant skyscrapers. Oh yeah. Um. Which is, you know, the skyscraper in itself is all, uh, is a very interesting metaphor because oftentimes they get made in times of like intense uh, prosperity, but because of you know, ostensibly they are just sort of like a fucking like, um, you know, like a they're all it's all hubris. Did we talk you know, about? No- I don't even remember if we talked about this, but I watched this um, this like clip about how there's some 
people, economic theorists, who tie when a depression will happen to when there's a big peak in skyscraper building. So yeah, yeah. This the uh, there's more skyscrapers being built. That's the sign that a depression is coming. And that yeah, you need to be careful about it. And they go through all these like, examples of when that is. And, yeah, well, a skyscraper. I mean, like you, you could build one. You know, it's not like it's a crazy. Um, I mean, it is. It is an, an engineering feat that is like, wow, a skyscraper. That's really cool. You have to have. You have to use metal. You can't. You can't. <laughs> you, I mean, it's funny to say. It, I okay, okay. I said that wrong, but uh, you, there. It's like. A skyscraper is a thing of the 20th century because in the in 19th century and stuff, you know, buildings were a lot were more often made of brick, and the right. structural soundness of brick stops after you reach a certain like uh, floor level. Like it just becomes impractical to make a building out of brick after like 10 floors. You know, then you have to if you do that, you have to have walls that are insanely thick because the building material, you know, it's just not going to happen. It says it, it doesn't hold up. Yeah. So. Yeah, there's some complications to, like, using I-beams and, like, steel and iron and all that shit to hold, physically hold up a skyscraper. But the other thing that goes along with it is because all those things, they cost a fuck ton of money. Yeah. And the upfront cost is so much, it means that you inevitably need a fucking very rich backer or often a conglomerate. Right. Uh, Right of back of backers, and right. you only get people doing that when you've got not. I'm speaking pretty broadly here, but there's there's usually some pretty unfortunate income equality when you've got people who are able, uh, right to afford to afford those kinds of things. And it's very risky and it's very capital intensive, and so you're really taking out. You like if you're an investor, you might be like really over leveraging yourself in order to invest in this sort of a skyscraper and it's a really big permanent investment in a city to be able to do something like that yeah it's it, exactly it's super permanent it uh it, it you know it's gonna stay uh, i mean the idea is that it'll stay in a fucking plot of land a, a plot of land for a hundred years like that's what they're that's what they're building for and if especially if you're building like a modern skyscraper where it's really really tall you actually have to fill up all the office space in it too. If it's not all residential, it gets really, um, what's that thing where people, uh, they invest in something, uh, real estate speculate. It gets really speculative. Totally. After, after a certain point. Absolutely. It does get really speculative. And those who speculate on the Hudson yards will ultimately look like the biggest losers in 21st century real estate. I mean, mm -hmm. you will have things like that, but because, not only is Hudson Yards a failure, but it will, the entire Midtown Manhattan area is going to have to be rethought now that there's all these people who are work, going to be working full-time remote or maybe going to the office one or two days a week, something like that. Yeah. Stagger out the office space and you're not going to need as much meeting space because, and you're not going to need as many like cool hangout spots for you to like take your clients or whatever. This sort of culture is going to severely diminish as a result of the coronavirus pandemic. I really do think so. I don't think that people are going to fully go back to it. I think some people are going to want to go back to commuting, you know, going mm -hmm. back to the office a few days a week, but it's not going to be nearly as robust. And you're going to see corporate America 
cutting down on their leases, cutting, you know, trying to sell their mortgages or whatever uh, for their commercial office space and significantly shrink it. And so demand is just going to plummet. And all these, uh, anyone who owns these buildings is just going to suffer so much from that permanently. It is a permanent yeah. adjustment to the economy. Yeah, it's going to be uh, not only that, but yeah, I think a lot of people have, it, it sort of restarts a lot of the arguments and concessions that people have gotten for their, you know, for the benefit, like things that were sort of mutually agreed upon throughout industry. For example, you know, one thing that's super annoying right now is that if you were a person who commuted to work every day or whatever, and you did live in a city where you had, you know, mass transit like New York City, something that you could potentially finagle out of your boss was like a, pa a transit pass. That was like, right. that was a thing that you could get. And that's going to be harder now to get that. But then you also have the weird kind of theoretical and also infrastructural uh, possibilities for the future where it's like, well, okay, if you're some rich weirdo who lives in Hartford, Connecticut, or even if you're just a guy, you're one of the strange people that I deliver to who are like a millionaire, but they live in like, you know, a part of the Southern, Southern Bronx, which by the way is a lot. Uh, there's a weird, con there's a weird conglomeration of people who like live in Manhattan who are, they're like trying to gentrify the Bronx in a yeah, weird way. Yeah. It's, it's very, so trying. like they, the, they 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 li they live there and it's very odd um but you're going to have this this question now where it's like are those people who have that influence are they going to be like well now part of my uh part of my uh my package in being here is you have to you have to pay for 200 megabit per second uh e um internet for my house that's going to have to be the next concession that like that's got to be that, that's like, got to be it employees are going to have to white collar workers are going to have to fight for is trying to like not only you pay for a portion of my internet you pay for a portion of my electricity you pay a portion yeah. of my heat and also if i have to get a separate uh, a separate office for my apartment you're paying for the extra bedroom yeah you're paying for the the meeting or the office thing and, and it's that's like five years away like you are not yeah, going yeah. to get those agreements worked out first off unless you have a union second off uh, in order to collectively bargain for it, uh, for them to take to pay for your real estate. I mean, that that's something you really have to, would have to fight for collectively. And second off, that's a long ways away. In the meantime, corporate America is just going to make a lot of money on reduced real estate costs. I mean, so yeah. much money. That's part of the reason why, for them to say that this has been a shit year and this transition is tough, is so disingenuous. I really think that they'll succeed. They'll, they'll end up. The, the, a lot of a lot of folks will come out on top from this. They're gonna be. They're gonna succeed. You, dude, there's so many up things up in the air. Which is, it's funny because you're you are right. They're gonna pay a lot less in in real estate for sure. But there are gonna be so many. Like I said, so many infrastructural snafus. Like those, these people. These people do not know how a fucking ethernet cable works all right they pay it guys sometimes teams of them hundreds of thousands of dollars a year 
just so they can tell them you need to restart your modem <laughs> and, stuff, <laughs> and stuff like that. So I, I think that's going to be a weird, not like I think I'm on their, not like I'm on their side. I, I mean, fuck them, you know, obviously, but I dude, that's going to be a big thing for, I think a lot of us where you're going to have, you're going to, we're going to hit this weird brick wall of reality as well, where it's like, they're going to, they're going to save money on real estate. And then they're going to be like, Oh shit. I hired Max, the guy who, to make sure that uh, all the, 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 like the systems are set up in our office perfectly. And I don't have him anymore. I need to get, no, this isn't right. You know? So we're going to see this like whole reversal in like what's normal, what's paid for, what isn't, you know? And I think, I think the one thing you could probably assume is that, you know, the people on the bottom are going to be the, the last if they do see it ever, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, all of this stuff is about how it's going to affect the white collar sector. And then, like, the the after effects are going to be like, okay, we're going to have, you know, how is this going to affect delivery workers? How is this going to affect food workers, restaurant workers, and, like, the restaurant sector in Midtown? You know, um, you think about, like, people... Are they going to just be permanently going to conferences remotely now? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, you know, all the people, all the workers who work in the restaurant, like at, at the conferences, at uh, the hotels, at the restaurants that rely on that conference, uh, you know, those flights and stuff like that. Those people all of a sudden might be seeing less money coming in, might be seeing fewer jobs. I mean, all of this is not about the, you know, the bottom fifty percent of America, which owns you know zero stocks bonds or securities or of any kind no retirement yeah. savings whatsoever that is um in america we've really come to a, a almost a 50 50 stratification wherein there are the top 50 percent of people who have money invested in a retirement account or some other part of you know of investments in wall street and then there's the bottom half which do not and mm-hmm. like literally nothing saved and like or invested they might have savings but there's literally nothing invested in retirements or any other account um yeah which is insane but that is kind of the bifurcation of our economy that we're seeing and the bottom half is not who we're talking we're talking about the top half yeah it's uh it's great it it's it's crazy how much they get catered to again it'll all be if we get anything it'll just be weird like like Manhattan, you gotta you gotta imagine Manhattan is wired probably better than Brooklyn. Like literally wired better. There's more you have more offices, you have faster internet and stuff like that. It's gonna be so hilarious when <laughs> when people start realizing what where they start um like you know, some some loser CEO or COO who gets paid a hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year is in his old loft apartment in fucking downtown brooklyn you know at 100 willoughby or something like that nice uh, yeah yeah and they're just sort of like and they're, they're in their loft space and they're like why the fuck is the internet so slow and it's like because there's less wires here but bro the internet <laughs> is wires it's I literally mean, wires man <laughs> have to be some serious infrastructural changes to how you're looking at you know commercial real estate being converted to residential as well you yeah need more bathrooms for starters um so anyways it's tough for to say there was a lot of people that came out on top and it wasn't just Amazon and, you know, big tech that came out on top from the pandemic. There's a lot of people who in the white collar sector who are going to walk away overall um, stronger 
than than they were before. And this will be whereas there are other people, the three hundred thousand dead, notwithstanding, who will walk away permanently suffering from from this. And that is ultimately kind of like the fallacy of our previous economy, which is basically it's revealing that stock market growth was not dependent on the bottom half of our economy. Yeah. The bottom half of our economy is essential workers in a lot of places, but also it's a lot of discretionary spending because that's the only jobs available to blue collar people these days. It's just discretionary spending at restaurants and bars and entertainment and other sort of like ancillary activities like that. But once you have the coronavirus and the stock market's still going up, mm-hmm. what explains for that other than the fact that we realize that it has been completely separate, the stock market has been com- completely separated from half of America? It's what you've been saying since we basically started the podcast, which is that it's a, it's a mood ring, and that's important to know. But I think, I mean, that's one of the weird little hidden gems of everything it's like there's not a lot of good to come out of the the coronavirus epidemic um but one of the things is that like if you're a regular person and you see you know a stock that makes it makes no sense why it's doing good or bad or whatever and you're like why is this happening and people everybody around you is going, I'm suffering, I'm not doing well, I might lose my house or something like that. Um, and then news is reporting something to the effect of like this X number of people have lost something, but the stock market's going up. I mean, it makes it makes you think. <laughs> it really makes, makes you, makes you think. And then really makes you think. <laughs> and then you have things like, you know, we have government bailouts of huge sectors of the economy basically just absorbing risk, which is really like what a like kind of state like a corporate statist socialism like what china has does like china inc the the communist party and the government owns like 40 percent of all Mm -hmm. private corporations and they do that in order to you know get some revenues going back to them and get some profits going back to the people or whatever in theory in theory i don't know if that's true or not um but also to mitigate risk and yeah. if you have constant bailouts of corporate America, um, you are basically what we're creating is we are doing that to mitigate risk for huge sectors of corporate America. But we're not getting the people aren't really getting any profits out of it. We're not getting any ownership no. stake in it. We're just bailing. That was kind of the big kerfuffle with the bailouts in the first place. Frankly, what was kind of one of the few you know, righteous angers of the Tea Party movement, which is like these bailouts are a bad deal for us. Yeah, and it's well, I, maybe we're getting to the maybe we're getting to the point where we can actually get an interesting deal on the table. My I say this is, you, you know, hear me out on this. Okay. For, first thing you do, first thing you do out of this, you think to yourself, OK, what is the basic necessity of a society a to make it so people have something they can eat and b so they're not shitting in the streets okay those are two things those are two big big things what you do well i mean roi also come on return on investment sure yes yes and maybe people could live somewhere you know but but, but point (laughs) being point 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 being you don't want people shitting in the streets and you want people to not go hungry 
you nationalize every Chipotle and every Starbucks, all right? <laughs> Starbucks becomes the national bathroom. It just becomes yeah, the bathroom. Chipotle, it. too. Chipotle, too, for that matter. They could both become the national bathroom. We immediately solve the problem of, uh, you know, of and, and like, come on, what's that going to cost? What do these franchises cost? Each? A million bucks? <laughs> what? Okay, what? There's a thousand, what? what is there, a thousand Chipotles in America? How many Chipotles are in America? I got to find this out. I think there's more than a thousand. I mean, it's probably just as, to buy every single Chipotle at market value, <laughs> Uh, which yeah. is what the government would be required to do under the Fifth Amendment. We would, it, I mean, I'm sure it would be somewhere around $3 trillion, right? Come on. It's probably. No, no, no. Okay. There's 2,718 Chipotles. All right. Okay. Uh, and they're all, they're not all priced the same. I love this yeah. idea. I love this idea of national and Chipotle. <laughs> I think this is the first priority that we all need to be getting at. Uh, I mean, what I would just be worried about is that we don't want to use that as an excuse to cut food stamps, Danny. Because once you make that's true, you know, you don't want to just have people just eating Chipotle all day every day. You want to be able to allow people to get fruits and fruits and vegetables and make a carnitas burrito of their own. Uh, Look, okay, it's a too much. Okay, we take we take this. You take the salt content. You drum that down a lot. There's a lot of salt in Chipotle. I'm not gonna lie. It, every single menu item has the little salt shaker icon next to it, which oh, means yeah. it is more good. than your daily. Which means it's good. Um, yeah, 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 exactly. But you buy. Look, there's a there's a Chipotle probably in Casper, Wyoming. That's probably only worth hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Right. There's one. There's probably one in Midtown Manhattan that's worth four million dollars. You give every. You buy every one of them for a million dollars. That's literally two point seven billion dollars. That's all you got to spend. What is that? One one tank, one Sherman tank for all the Chipotles <laughs> to nationalize the Chipotles. Yeah, I think if we just like cut, just didn't pay the military for a year, we could buy every Chipotle in America. Dude, we don't even have to do dude, the military budget was what, seven hundred billion? You could like, dude, I'll go fucking nutty with it. Every Chipotle's worth three million dollars. Then that that what? Then that means nationalizing all of them costs seven billion? Come on. Come on. Oh, this isn't this is this is an unimpeachable <laughs> argument. I mean, I really I got nothing. I got no response. It's perfect. It's a really a, per a perfect national solution. But there dude, is let's just... round let's let's round it up to ten billion, man. Come on. <laughs> But it, it it is just a, a, a to get back to the point like there there is just constantly risk is being thrust onto the lower class owner lack of ownership is onto the lower class and growth is uh, being denied to the lower class the lower fifty percent and it, it's weird how it has become a fifty fifty split in so many in so many different instances. Um, and I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know what else to think about it, other than uh, we've created just such a weird Frankenstein of an economy. There's not really a specific ideology to which it adheres. There is a form of like, I think running through all of it is kind of a like, you know, Reaganomics, wherein we reward, you know, corporate, yeah. you know, kind of a corporate socialism kind of thing everywhere. But there's so many weird behemoth structures that have no real um, purpose other than just kind of a stopgap duct tape measure 
that's just weird and we don't know what to do with it other than just that someone lobbied for it and they got it it kind of is like a it, it, it's sort of like a metaphorical skyscraper because the idea is is you build a skyscraper in intense times of inequality and growth and theoretically it's a, it's supposed to be able to withstand a lot of force and like you know just be able to support itself but if your economy and your whole your your country it it runs off of bastardized fumes that don't really work and stuff and that skyscraper isn't being maintained or whatever like how long does it take before it does just fall over right like eventually eventually you know shit will collapse in 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 one way or another right here's to that let's go through um some of the some of the good stories from this year that we that we covered and i want to start with one of my favorites which was for uh former ebay employees uh threatening uh a couple with anonymous email threats, Twitter threats, delivering them live cockroaches, a bloody Halloween pig mask, a funeral wreath, and a book on surviving a spouse's death. They sent pornography <laughs> to the couple's name uh, to neighbors and conducted covert surveillance to emotionally and psychologically terrorize them. These are security directors of eBay, and it seems like the CEO... Uh, may have what they don't know whether he n- knew about it, whether he was involved in it. Devin Wenig, uh, yeah, and Wenig apparently made quote inappropriate communications, but there was no evidence he had advanced knowledge of the or authorized the actions against the couple. This these couple, what they did, they wrote a bad art. They wrote like a bad blog post about them, like about eBay. Yeah. I mean, just <laughs> amazing. Yeah, very vindictive. Uh, uh, was, uh, eh, eh, did you say there was a, a, a pig mask? Did you say something about that? A bloody that? pig mask. Bloody pig a mask, bloody yeah. bloody pig mask was used against them. Yeah, I, so I tried, to, I tried to look up this story. All of the original stories are from June which is when that originally happened. Yeah. So I was, I was looking for the most recent version of it, and it does say that uh, two, the two employees were indicted. In, yes. It, two former employees were in, indict, yes. di- indicted. Yes. Indicted. 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 Yeah, so, th- so that means, yeah, were indicted on a charge by a grand jury that they did participate, so that did happen. They, I, they, They're writing an online lo- newsletter that these people viewed <laughs> as critical of the e-commerce company. Of eBay, okay? Yeah. It's, I'm just blown away that, like, can you imagine being, like, in an eBay meeting with these security guys, and they're just like, okay, who's Paulie and who's Christopher? And them just kind of playing mafia with themselves and working themselves up into uh, this feeling like they need to be, like, Goodfellas or, like, The Godfather Part 1 with with this shit and send them a bloody pig mask to these bloggers these newsletter people i think it's just dudes being bros really right. uh it's dudes being guys just very True. you know you know who you know who your homies are True. who are who are really willing to stand by you um which i think is really cool like i said it does look like they were indicted which is not good for them um but that was uh 
honestly, like like you said, it's it's a favorite of a, of this year because it's just so it's just so wild. It's just it's like that kind of energy is uh we very. We need more of it. We need more of this it. Economy it's, needs more of that kind of energy. It's very antithetical to anything Joe Biden would ever stand for. Like everybody. <laughs> wants, like yeah, he gets in an occasional kerfuffle where he calls you know his 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 nemesis jerks or whatever. But like you said, it really gets into some some high soprano energy, you know, where people are just sort of like, yeah, let's yeah, let's just fucking do it. It's it, it it's it's one of those let's just fucking do it moments. Let's just fucking so do I'm, it. Yeah, 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 absolutely, man. It's 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 like a it's one of those scenes in a movie where they're all doing drugs in order to like amp themselves up to get stoked to go commit like a lot of a lot of amping up yeah so much amping up going so on here that was a good story another good story was a, an investment advisor who is in the middle of a 35 million dollar ponzi scheme uh tried to escape the fbi using a small submersive device a small submersive yes. device it wasn't just a rabbit She's, we're talking about like a little submarine thing that he could get around <laughs> Like it was like this, like it was just it could move. I don't know. It's a handheld submarine, like a Yamaha thing, and he tried to get around it. And I think the best part of this story, which is I think it leads itself to one of the top, my one of my favorite stories, is he is trying to escape the feds in the lake. Uh, I don't remember what the Lake Tahoe, I think, and Lake <laughs> yeah. Shasta, uh, uh, in Lake Shasta, and he abandons his truck there and swims into the lake and he's underwater and the law enforcement could only see bubbles and he's in the frigid water for 25 minutes and when he emerges law enforcement uh, discovered that he had this device and he apparently the cops had his clothes because yes, his wife gave them to the cops because yeah she ultimately didn't have faith in his escape yeah i mean look I, uh, this is, uh, look, I'm all about, as a man who watches a lot of YouTube car chases, um, I, I, you're, you're, I'm rooting for this guy. Yeah. I'm, 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 ultimately I'm rooting for him. Um, you know, you always, you always watch the videos where the person, the car being chased is the guy who doesn't have a license plate or some other kind of identifying mark on them. Um, so they have a greater chance of getting away, but the, it's, but buddy, it's, it's a lake. Uh, it's contained <laughs> uh, and the bubbles you're literally it's like you're leaving breadcrumbs behind you you can't you can't do that it's, yeah uh, <laughs> get yourself I mean, get yourself a yamaha that doesn't that allows you to not breathe exactly 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 yeah. I, I i mean get yourself some be gillyweed or something like that literally yeah i literally watched that movie the other day right <laughs> Harry Harry po Harry Potter four for anybody wondering. I wanted to watch all of them again. Uh, that was a really good story. Another another good story was the uh, one where the guy defrauded the CIA. I think that that was maybe one of my favorite stories of the year. Uh, just we interviewed the author who is just this uh, great journalist Howard Blum. Uh, he covered this story about this man and this is in the New York times. He con quote conned the beltway. This man got access to these secret rooms that gave him some sort of cover 
to pretend that he was in a deeper version of whatever national security apparatus that anyone else was in. And he used that in order to secure contracting and financing and pseudo favors for people, basically. And just yes. an amazing, amazing con. Multi-year, it involved uh, just all these sort of, like these sensitive compartmented information facilities, uh, all-star cast of intelligence officials, former like generals, two-star generals, all these just like so much I mean, like crazy amounts of money going through. This is all in the oh, 740 yeah. whatever billion dollars in the defense budget. It's going to all sorts of people. And it and this guy, this patriot, Garrison Kenneth Courtney, was found a way to make a buck off of it. And this guy just made a lot of money off of this, pretending to be in the deep state. Bravo. Yeah. Bravo. Very, very good. Um, the uh, do you do? You, is there any follow up on that guy? Like, is there any? Do we have? Do we have any in new information? So, on I'll, like, uh, I know that in June he pled guilty to a single count of wire fraud and agreed to repay his victims at least four point four million dollars, but mm -hmm. that's not as much as he took. Um, <laughs> that's a cost of doing business, man. That guy walked out. That guy walked out in the black for sure. And there was yeah. yeah. I, again, this is the kind of energy that I I I can I condone. This is like I like I like seeing this. I want to see what what kind of crazy shit you're gonna be. Able, what what kind of restaurant you're gonna make with your cocaine money? Like, please, <laughs> please do it because you're just taking the cracks in the system and just you know like <laughs> shredding them apart you know this like, let, like let's see what happens i mean this guy is like the big short in some ways actually he's kind of like these kind of like big short kind of guys who really loves to they see a flaw in the system and instead of trying to fix it they exploit it for personal gain mm -hmm. and but in this instance he couldn't have like tried to fix it there's no way he was going to fix this all he's going to do is just take some money and prevent it from being used to build an F-35 or being used, yeah. right? Like, all the money that he took, uh, I mean, he's just, uh, oh, on, Octo on October 23rd, Garrison Courtney apparently appeared for sentencing uh, in federal district court in Virginia, could get a, a maximum 20-year sentence. Uh yeah. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, 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 20, yeah. 20-year sentence. But you know what, man? He's just still got more deals that he's trying to do. I mean, even after he pled guilty to the fraud charge in June, uh Mr. Courtney had launched a new variation of his old scheme. I mean, <laughs> he was claiming that he was a burned agency asset whose cover had been inadvertently blown by the NF FBI investigation. He tried to strike a deal to deliver a classified sole source government contract to a new company. I mean, that's just all he does. And it's, it's amazing. I just got to respect Mr. Courtney for the hustle. And that's that that's that's some good shit, man. I mean, he's dude. he's he's all in again. <laughs> <laughs> again. Yeah. Um, so that's that's some good shit. Um, another good story from this year that I really liked. I think we got to talk about Robin Hood. Uh, just of course, yeah. It just came out, but there's an update, actually. Uh, Robin Hood, in addition to last year in 2019, 
They got fined by FINRA for like a million and a half bucks. Then they got fined by the Massachusetts uh, regulator. I don't remember how much for, but they got sued. There's a complaint filed against them. So there's no damages have been alleged yet. And the SEC, they settled something with SEC for $65 million. Now they're facing a class action lawsuit. Um, a complaint filed uh, for almost the exact same thing. Uh, similar allegation to a case that had just settled with the SEC. So a class action lawsuit. Anyone who's invested in Robinhood, from what I understand from the from the time frame uh, that you know they're involved in, can cling on to get some more money, right? And it it's just amazing. I mean, it just keeps going uh, against them. Yeah, Robinhood, the maybe the most legitimate feeling of the tech sector. Uh, you know, getting you know revolutionizing or uh, you know, innovating their way into uh the the, the much more mm, uh Do- let's see dodgy financial sector regulated but also dodgy financial sector yeah. and uh, really just fallen in it at this point. Oh you know? yeah, oh for shit sure. just keeps get getting worse for them and i have i'm i'm all for it i want to see how how far down this this uh rabbit hole goes i mean i think that it's it's kind a little bit of a bellwether for all of tech trying to enter the financial sector like facebook trying to launch their cryptocurrency this year they just totally got their ass chewed by regulators but then they just completely readjusted their uh attempts and basically now they're trying to launch something pretty different and very scaled back but that could still happen. And if they launch their, you know, kind of stable coin cryptocurrency that they're looking to launch, uh, which has some tacit approval from some lawmakers globally, but not all, uh, they could just face the exact same shit. And all these tech companies who are trying to get into the financial sector think that they can get easy money from doing that. But that's what everyone who goes into finance thinks. And just do because it. you have an innovative platform doesn't mean that the underlying principles don't aren't there. You can't like, yeah, uh, it's very exciting. I'm very, uh, I'm very curious to see what's going to happen with Robin hood. I mean, they're going to just get, this is just going to keep going. And their entire business model is framed on the underlying fraud or the underlying law breaking that's being alleged against them, which is this be- best execution stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. this best execution stuff is all saying that they need to deliver the trade as a broker when they when the person asks them to, right? When yes. the customer asks them to, but they don't do that, and that's their entire business model is not doing that. <laughs> yeah, it's built around <laughs> not doing that. Yeah, yeah, it's built around not doing that because they sell it to third parties intermediaries who make some money off of it in various ways and then they finally execute it days later and this class action alleges that they actually misled their investors when they told them that it was executed when it was not um just amazing class classy stuff does it say how many people are involved in the class action i don't know it doesn't i don't think it says but uh i I mean if you think about how many users are involved in robin hood between a certain Milli- t- millions, right? Millions. I mean, anyone who's was in it in a certain time frame, I I can't see it right now. Could I think, in theory, could qualify for it? I'd I'd have to look it up. So, 
And I don't want to do that. It's it's uh it's it's uh it's December 29th, folks. Um folks, it's December 29th. It's 2020, guys. I don't have time to look up the details. Uh we don't we don't have the energy for that. It it's it's hell year, right? So anyways, there's some other things that we should be on the lookout for for next year. Uh not quite as fun of stuff, but the some crazy stuff happened with these FinCEN files. We talked about that a lot. Uh, the yeah. FinCEN files was, as a reminder, was from the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists, all talking about how the U.S. government ignores suspicious activity reports from international banking agencies. And when they do that, yes. so ba- international banking agencies have an obligation to report them but there's no obligation to follow up on them. And there is just huge amounts of them that never get followed up on some of that for maybe for, you know, for good reason, because it's actually just a report that's filled filed because, you know, out of an abundance of caution and there's no actual rule breaking, but uh, oftentimes from these reports, it is. And one of the big ones was discovering that gold is used as the biggest, I guess, money laundering device. Yeah. Globally, uh, or the flow of dirty, yeah, the flow of dirty money. Uh, huge. Yeah. I remember when we covered the FinCEN files, I think <clears throat> my biggest takeaway from that was sort of the same. It's sort of the same feeling you get when you are like, maybe like, oh, I want to buy a house or whatever. And you're, you're talking to a dealer, broker or something. And they're like, and they show you a very beautiful house. And they say, beautiful house built in 2009. Uh, good, good materials. Um, and then you say something like, "How are the bones on this house? How are the bones? How's the skeletal <laughs> structure? What's uh, what's the foundation like?" And they're like, uh, you know, it's fine. It's pretty good. You know, it might need a little bit of work." And, co- and you know that when somebody's talking about like a struct, an internal but very structural part of something like that, that they are they're hiding the worst part of it. It's like, say, you know, it, it's, you know, you, it doesn't matter if you have a beautiful home, if there's no pi- if there's no plumbing in it, <laughs> you know? And that's what I think the FinCEN files felt like to me where it was, Oh no, everything's working fine. It's fine. We don't really check to see if things are legitimate or not. <laughs> and then, but don't worry, don't worry about it. It's like, no, 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 no. There's a huge flaw here. You're yeah. you're not doing you're do, you're not doing a vet you're this isn't even an auxiliary thing where it's like oh I forgot to um mark this esoteric type of savings account as this or whatever it's like no we're just not checking for fraud <laughs> yeah we're yeah. just not doing the thing that banks are it's like a big deal that yeah. they do you and know I I don't think that there's gonna be too much more that's gonna be coming out of the FinCEN files specifically but I think that from we can tell about what 2020 meant. This is just like the Panama Papers. If you remember that a few years ago, these are these huge, I think there was another one that was similar. These are these huge, you know, explosive whistleblower actions that just reveal how like international global finance is so unregulated and is so much grift and so much hidden money and so much money laundering and all this, this stuff. And 2020 and the FinCEN files wasn't, it just kind of proved that 2020 wasn't any better or worse than the previous decade since, you know, or two decades maybe on this sort of stuff. 
and it, it's getting blown up. But this, I mean, was even made even less of a splash. I mean, this made nothing of a splash, even compared to Panama Papers, which people really forgot about. Yeah, people forgot about the no. Panama Papers, but this, no one even thought about. Uh, I didn't see anyone covering this stuff. No, it's hard to cover. It's one of those things where, like, you're lucky if a sort of, I don't want to call them prestige, but if, like, a, a millennial prestige um, publication like BuzzFeed does something on it. Well, they, they, least... they, but BuzzFeed was one of the people who exposed it, right? But That's like... ex exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. You're, you're really lucky if they're the one, if they really do the very good journalistic work of actually doing it Absolutely. and putting it out there. And from there, it's just a matter of like, does it stick or not? It doesn't seem like it really, really stuck in this case. I think it could potentially be one of those things, kind, honestly, kind of like Jeffrey Epstein, where, you know, for years, everybody knew this guy's like fucking sketchy and weird and stuff. And for whatever reason, 2019 was the year where it just like, finally stuck and he suicided himself yeah. to death <laughs> uh, uh, in a Manhattan correctional facility. By the way, uh, as we're re recording this, Ghislaine Maxwell denied bail for $35 million again. So nice. again, that didn't stop existing in 2020. Uh, uh, Jeffrey Epstein stuff still happening. Still happening. Uh, just in the form of uh, his weird mistress uh, who did get caught eventually and is now <laughs> hopefully being denied bail and put in a very well secure and also incredibly uh monitored area <laughs> yeah, totally. no no cam no camera failure there hopefully um yeah, she's gonna be okay i don't know so yeah um looks like there is uh next kind of crazy story that happened this year speaking of kind of real estate in new york the eco oh, yogi yeah. slumlords they're getting sued again amazing yeah. uh that's that's the real big update but we talked about the eco yogi slumlords how these people are basically uh renting out property lying about their benefits and not really paying not really like providing their tenants with like livable housing situations ex you know kind of like soaking up tenant money using it to like over leverage themselves with these crazy like baby yoga empire sort of stuff and they're running this huge fraud. And in the meantime, it's this crazy uh, story between the two of them. And they're getting poly. And then they're getting divorced. And then they're... I mean, it's just so... Just so much. Then these obviously illegal short-term rental operations on Airbnb. Uh, I mean, just so much stuff. And now they're getting a second lawsuit. So... I, I would just... Yeah. Eh, the best way to describe that, it's a bit much. It's a bit much. It's a bit much. <laughs> eh. But uh, yeah, that was the the we didn't have too much of a follow up with them other than what you said, which is like yeah, there's just more legal stuff <laughs> coming out against them. Yeah. Um, although that was sort of the um, that was kind of the story of I don't I it wasn't the story of the summer, but it was one of the um, like little annotations yeah. along with the kind of like well it's so salacious it's just so it, like it's inc it's incredibly salacious <laughs> <laughs> it's incredibly salacious and it it was like a really interesting mix between coronavirus and the black lives matter movement yeah because I, because obviously these losers had all of their business stuff 
uh, exacerbated by coronavirus. And at the other hand, it was the height, the heat and the height of summer. So they, you know, that was right when all the protests were happening. Right. And it really so, revealed a lot of the divides that have been simmering in Brooklyn between like, you know, baby yoga Brooklyn and like everyone else, you know, like, like, yeah, like Carol Gardens, Brooklyn or Hollow Hill, Brooklyn. Uh, yeah. It, and, and, I mean, and, really, and that's what it us. did. And that, that was kind of one of the, the crazy. It was very it was very Brooklyn specific in a lot of ways. But in other ways, it was reflective of kind of what we were talking about earlier between like the middle class and the upwardly mobile middle class. And the like asset holding middle class, the largely white middle class, and the rest of us, you know, um, I mean, I have a job, but like you know, there there's like for the you know the bottom fifty percent or whatever, like that 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 you got to work for, you know, and that was kind of the big divide that was really, really, really brought forward in the funniest, weirdest, most detailed. A story that I've seen about these crazy nut polyamorous people. Uh, It was just it was a good good story, and they're getting sued again. So we'll see how that goes with with going into twenty twenty one. One or two more quick things uh, that we covered, and that is quickly we covered what happened in Venezuela, and there's a quick update with that. Which yes. is that right when we recorded our episode, there were these parliamentary elections that were held. And if we remember what we talked about, we were talking about the ownership of Sitgo, which is a, the gas station that you see all the time in like Connecticut and stuff, which is actually a subsidiary of uh, PDVSA, which is a state owned firm owned by the Venezuelan state. It has been under That's right. serious sanctions by the United States for under the Trump administration, in part because they don't recognize the 2018 elections as fraudulent, and also in part because, as was revealed uh, through kind of the ownership battles with Sitgo, uh, the United States very much wants to privatize Sitgo and very much wants oh, to get love money it. in it. And there were Sitgo executives who were in the United States, five of the six of them U.S. citizens, who struck a deal when Sitgo was completely... Uh, you know, dra- you know, drowning in debt and in trouble to have some refinancing to get a get more money, basically, in exchange for if they default on that, to give up fifty percent of Sitgo. Okay, which effectively means that they weren't ever going to pay that off because they're in so much, they're drowning in debt right now. Effectively, mm-hmm. giving over the company, and those six, the Sitgo six. Uh, got arrested in Venezuelan prison. They've been in prison for three years. And there was, uh, meanwhile, Juan Guaido has been in this awkward position of both being kind of a, you know, Western supporter or, you know, supported by the West in a lot of ways, but he also has to kind of defend the interests of the Venezuelan state. And so he's kind of in a rock and a hard place where he's like uh, trying to assert that these loans are, invalid and defend, you know, kind of PTVSA, but also declaring that 2018 elections were also invalid. This dude just doesn't think anything's valid. And he does. Uh, he's put, like you said, he's, he's, uh, uh, he's trying to be a little puppet, but also be like, nah, nah, I'm the right. Uh, hello, 
nah, hello, fellow kids. No, no. <laughs> right. <laughs> except, except what happened? But what, two days after we recorded? Lost his if he was uh if he was the the speaker of the house he ain't that anymore he lost the speakership he, right he lost his part he lost like essentially being head of the parliament which is the only thing that he really had going for him and obviously like a lot of foreign states had recognized him as the leader of venezuela and he was the head of the parliament and that was indisputed uh but now he lost <laughs> i mean he's not that anymore he lost and nicolas maduro <laughs> allies uh are going to win a majority from that, from from these parliamentary elections, and obviously people are going to decry them as you know not uh, kosher, and there was you know probably say some you know some chicanery going on. But after what happened in 2020 with our elections, really the past two presidential elections, what moral high ground do we have to stand uh, on, on criticizing any electoral processes whatsoever, or really any? ever you know considering our history and considering our structure that we live in now so that's going to be something to look for in 2021 with the biden administration which i imagine will remain hawkish on venezuela um they you know someone like elliot abrams and bill richardson who's a democrat i don't imagine either of them straying too far from the biden line they both seem relatively you know elliot abrams is a republican and more conservative but I don't really see him straying too far away from that. So that'll be something to look out for. And the last one uh, is related to climate change. California has a new market to hedge against record droughts. Water futures. Uh, we reported yes. that this was being filed a few months, and then it kind of went viral on certain parts of Twitter uh, recently. And that's because the fun, the, the, uh, Basically, the first trading began on December 7th for uh, water futures, and this is, um, it's happening now. We are, uh, Vélez Waters, a financial services firm focused on water. Uh, the first day of trading saw two buyers secure prices for about 650,000 gallons of water, enough to, ca enough to cover 15 football fields one feet deep. It, it, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, what is the value of something that is an absolute necessity in every single aspect of, of life? If this, if the stock market just kind of going up is the kind of like, Oh, this is kind of inhumane and weird, uh, that this everybody's suffering. And, um, and yet this, this, this big economic thing just does is sort of, uh, numb to it. Uh, putting water, also, as if uh, on the stock market as a as a future, um, that's just the cherry on top. Oh, you know, no. I mean, this is the, the, the it, it it's ultimately like this is a completely inelastic good that is they're trying to create some sort of like elasticity around it so by some by some creating creating some like demand, but demand is constant for water for everyone. Everyone has this like basically the same equal and high need for water right like so uh the futures market is trying to buy which uh buys investors the right to purchase water at a specific price on a future date like oil corn and other commodities um and they're trying to use it as like a benchmark in indicator of water stress in the region and uh, <laughs> what did you 
You know who doesn't? You know who bet? There's like a there's people who are shorting water, and it's all like, it's all like those guys who would play too much like you know League of Legends, who would like they never drink water, and they just be like at like the just be like. They'd be like, I believe I will be shorting water today. <laughs> <laughs> like the, the the wow guys, like or like those. Nah. Yeah, I mean, it it really unfortunately reminds me of the the only okay and slightly classist movie Idiocracy, uh, where you know where they're putting the, yeah. the Gatorade on the plants and stuff like that, right? Um, but I mean, it is insane to think about that you can buy futures in water when it gets to a certain price. Meaning that if water becomes incredibly expensive because there's a drought, people have already locked up the right to have it in the future. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. like if and when there's a climate catastrophe, it's already been bought. But that's also one of the weird things about, you know, the future where it's like, yeah, you could, it's like, look, if you want to pull, if you want to pull some bullshit where you're selling, you know, a theoretical stock at one point in the future for X amount of dollars, okay, whatever. But we are dealing with water. At the end of the day, who controls the water? Well, I guess it's the utility that controls it. So then we get like a situation where people are extreme, have extreme water scarcity and they're like, no, 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 no! Don't turn the wa- the spigot on for the people. I I feel like water futures is just hubris at this point, where it's just like, oh, you're just you're just begging for the guillotine. It, like if you <laughs> if you try to do this in the future, all you're gonna it's like no rich people may die, but the guy controlling the water, uh, you know, um, uh, factory. Yeah, he will. He will. He will either. He will either be like, "So sorry to get in your way, angry mob. Please have some of the water," you know, <laughs> or he will get gar- garroted, you know, like he's just, you know. So I, I, I don't know. In 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 a way, the water futures thing to me almost just seems like a game that like uh, some University of Chicago lo- loser thought up and was like, "Yeah, we're gonna do this," but it really, it's like you can't. Try oh fine fine let's put a, let's put an armed militia in front of the water utility let's see how long they last when a, an actual armed militia comes out and just destroys them and just is like and now we will continue to drink water again you know I mean these are it is not inevitable that there will be a backlash to this that will result in you know some sort of equanimity I think you're you know what you're right. You're right about <laughs> like it could David just... David, you're right that things can always get worse. <laughs> I think when it comes to the literal defi- definition of inequality, I think about it from a point where it's 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 called inequality and it's called the minority because it, you know there's it's less not a, fewer people. It's it's not a lot of people. It's not a lot of people holding wealth. It's thousands of people holding wealth, but it's not millions. And it's certainly not billions for right. that matter. And I do think there is a question of like, yeah, maybe we'll lose, but it's just like, what happens? You know, what happens when you push people to the point where you say like, no, the future water is ours. Uh, and then they go, oh, you thought, <laughs> like, you know, it's like, you think it's yours, you know? So 
I don't know. It just keep people keep pushing it. Keep seeing what's happening, but <laughs> yeah, keeping it keeping it going. And and like, look, I, I I don't want I don't want violence. I just I just think it's like I'm probably not going to be the one to do the violence. I personally like to hide in the corner and look at the violence and see what's happening from a distance. This is but, not you know. something that's going to be happening in 2021, but um, it, no, it's, it's crazy not. that it's beginning. Um, that the, the the foundations are being laid already this year and something that needs to just kind of be like vigorously watched over because when you get to a point where it's financialized, then you can have people starting to put bets on that and you can start to having it be deeper and deeper ingratiated into the system where in all of a sudden you have like retirement investors who own a small share in this water futures and they have yeah. a retirement incentive to have this one, you know, psycho loony guy to own all the water. And then all of a sudden they're defending him because if they don't, their 401k is going to go down. Um, Potent- it- potentially. I mean, so. it just depends how out in the open that stuff is. Um, I mean, it, 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 if the SEC continues to allow for retail investors and retirement investors to invest in private funds then it could i don't know it's uh it's something to think about i don't know guys i don't know folks. <laughs> i don't know i don't know i don't know. I, I don't know you know what if there's one thing this year has sort of taught me it's that even when we talk about depressing stuff or whatever i never feel that bad about i i don't you're a maniac i don't get i don't i don't get gloomy when it comes to this stuff it's like yeah i feel the, I I feel it, you know. I, you know, maybe like you listeners, you know, I get down in the dump sometimes, uh, especially when I'm listening to a particularly uh, downtrodden uh, podcast. Yeah. You know, yeah. while I'm while I'm delivering on the bicycle. But like, I don't know. Talking about it, thinking about it, I still there's. I still just think it's. I'm glad that people are wiling out in in funny ways. I'm glad that's happening. I think it exposes a lot of the inequity. Um, I want people to do it uh, more as long as people aren't getting hurt, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so please, like, please continue buying uh, a little, like, underwater, you know, mini, uh, like, ski-doo situation. Yeah. keep buying those please, submarines, man. Please keep doing that. Um, you know, come up with a funny scheme about how to buy, you know, bulk walnuts at the at Whole Foods. <laughs> <laughs> but then, like, in input a banana as the as the key code. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, please keep doing that. I want to see that on bigger levels. Um, and uh, also, just remember too that even though you know you think you're you're having a bad year, and maybe you are having a bad year, um, remember that the financial sector, their year, it's remarkably stable. <laughs> even. Even for everything that's people, it's happening. The people you love the most are doing fine, so there's nothing to worry about that. Yeah, just remember just remember that, especially when they are saying, what a tough year for us all. You'd be like, I'd like to see the receipts on your tough year. Yeah, I want to hear <laughs> your five-year projections. Uh, exactly. <laughs> well, that's it for us um, on, on, the, on the screen. Uh, it's been a fun year. Thanks for listening in. Uh, you know, and uh, happy, happy New Year's. We'll see you. We'll see you around my birthday, January 7th. Hey. Be great. Hey. Oh. Um. <laughs> oh. All right. <laughs> All right. Talk to you. Bye.